Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and Happy New Year. It is so good to see everyone here today, so good to be regathered as our church family. And before I begin today, I want to take just a, a personal moment to thank all of you all who have written so many wonderful cards and emails and letters and texts and all the phone calls and especially the, the, the just avalanche of prayers related to my father's recent passing right before Christmas and our, uh, the funeral and everything that took place last week. This church has been so unbelievable, just so, so wonderful, so gracious, and so loving. And I just thank you all for that. I know that, that your prayers have been, have been constant and faithful, and, and I want you to know they have been heard. We have, as a family, we have felt lifted up in so many ways, and, and I am just so pleased that, that those of you who, who were able to, to watch my father's uh, memorial service on Friday, I'm glad that you got to know him a little bit better, and I just thank you so much for, for being a part of our celebration of his life, whether it was with your prayers or communications or just to your presence here this morning. Today we are going to be starting a new sermon series for a new year. Our new sermon series will be about the life of Abraham, but primarily it's really about God. It's about the God who keeps his promises and the covenant that he keeps with us as his people as demonstrated through the life of Abraham. Now, how many of you all actually made any resolutions this New Year's? Anyone? Anyone? Okay, a few of you are willing to admit it. Some of us don't want to admit it because then people might hold us to them. But what is a resolution? A resolution is a promise. It's kind of a promise you make to yourself, um, but, it's, but it is, in essence, a promise. They're resolutions, they're covenants. A, co a covenant is a promise that you make either to or about something. But it's, it all brings together the idea of when we, when we declare something, when we proclaim something, we intend for that thing to come to pass. We intend to keep our word and to fulfill it. And today we're beginning this series about the God who keeps his promises and how we see God working his restoration through his covenant and through his people. So if you will turn to me to what some people might consider to be a very strange passage for the beginning of the new year. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 11, beginning in the 27th verse. Now, if you will, listen as I read together, uh, as I read the word of God this morning. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Tether, uh, Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Keep a note of that verse. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, 
Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. At the beginning of this new year, O God, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. On November 27th, last Thanksgiving, I celebrated my 55th birthday. Now here's something for you younger people to remember. At 55, you realize that there's not a lot of exciting new stuff happening. At 55, 55th birthday is a lot like turning 22. Not as nearly as exciting as 21. And so on November 27th, I just began to wonder, how is 55 going to be any different from 54. My good friend Tom Guy told me that turning 55 is a lot like driving 55. It's nothing exciting. (laughs) And so I wondered, will anything have changed because I completed my 55th lap around the sun? Now, some of you may have been asking a similar question just one week ago on New Year's Eve. Is 2024 going to be any different from 2023? I mean, you sang the same song, Old Lang Syne. You probably made a couple resolutions. You maybe were with friends and watched the ball drop from somewhere. But is 2024 really going to be any different from 2023? I mean, how was 2023 for you? Was it a good year? Was it a bad year? Anything notable? How about for you personally? I know that for many of you, all this was a great year. You had either the birth of children or grandchildren or new friends or something like that. I know, though, that there are many in this room who have also had to lose somebody they loved very dearly. My dad's passing this past November. Others of you with whom, I have, with whom we have wept and who, with whom we have shared grief over this last year. I know there are a lot of us who just want to put 2023 in the record books because of those losses. But what kind of year was it for you personally? What kind of year has this been for the church? Actually, it's been a great year for the church here in San Antonio. New faces, new church plants, new mission partners, new, new growing ministries, more children. But it was also a tough year for the church and for Christians around the world, especially in places like Israel and Ukraine and in South Sudan. It's been difficult for Christians in this country where Christian faith is increasingly and openly caricatured and mocked. It's been tough because we keep getting pushed to the margins of civic life. What about for our nation? Well, as we look to 2024, we know it's going to be an election year, and sadly, I believe that that means that, unfortunately, the rude and painful divisions that we are experiencing now are only going to heat up. We had a lot of that in 2023. What's it going to be like in 2024? For that matter, is 2024 going to be like 2023 at all? Will it just be same year, second verse, third verse, whatever? So with that question in mind, I want you to 
Imagine something with me, if you will. How do you think things looked in the year 2091 B.C.? At the beginning of the new year in 2091 B.C. 2091 was the year that scholars attribute to the call of Abraham. That was the year that God said to Abram, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then a few chapters later, we read in Genesis 15, 5, that God made a promise to Abram, a covenant with Abram. God's promise to Abraham was that he would have many descendants, as many as the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the beach. Now that's all great. But remember what we just read back in Genesis eleven thirty, We read that, quote, his wife, Sarah, was barren. And she had no child. That statement in Genesis is anything but accidental or incidental. It is critical to our understanding of how God works. Have you ever wondered why God launched his plan to save the world with an old man and a barren woman? I mean, think about this. If we wanted to begin a new church plant or a big mission project and we wanted children to be a part of it, then I would imagine we would probably try to recruit, we would probably choose a young man or a young woman or a young couple of childbearing age. But that's not who God chose. God chose them, Abram and Sarai. And not only was Sarah barren, Sarai barren, according to Genesis 18, 11, she was way past the age of childbearing. According to any human sense or reckoning, it was impossible for her to have kids. If we look back to Genesis 1, we see that God gave his creation, his people, a mission. He gave them a mandate. In two places, God told his people to be fruitful and multiply. He said it to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1.28 and to, and to Noah in Genesis 9.1. And from that point on, we see two words over and over. The people were knowing and begetting. Knowing and begetting. And if you don't know what those words mean, ask your parents. But they were fruitful and they multiplied. Knowing and begetting, knowing and begetting, leading to children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Genesis 5 lists the generations from Noah to Adam. And Genesis 7 lists another 10 generations from Shem to Abram. But then, with Abram, there is no child. The blessing of God which had been coming through these generations of people looked like they were coming to a screeching Halt. Other people were having children, but not Abram and Sarai. It looked like it came to a screeching halt. It looked like the purposes of God were coming to a dead end. I mean, up to this point, there had been plenty of knowing and begetting. Lots of multiplication. All very natural. All very human. All part of God's plan. But when it comes to Abraham's story, everything changes. It seems 
that people can't make it happen anymore. Only God can make it happen. Only, only the creator God can bring life out of what's dead and barren. If God's plan is going to go forward, then God's going to be the one who has to make it happen. If God wants to see this plan go forward, what was natural now has to become supernatural. And that is completely on purpose. In effect, God was saying, watch this. I'm going to choose a barren woman who can't have kids and an old man so that people will know that this is my work and not theirs. Because we humans have a tendency to want to take credit for things that we don't deserve. And so God makes sure that he does not allow that to happen. He wants to make sure that he does this in an unmistakable way that proves both his power and his glory. It's really interesting that throughout the Bible, God uses barrenness to show his power and his glory. And that he can not only bring forth life where there is no life, but that only he can bring forth life where there was no life. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, even Elizabeth, the cousin of Mary, all barren. And even though Mary, the mother of Jesus, was not barren, she was a virgin. And when she challenged the angel demanding to know how she would have a child since she'd never known a man, the angels pointed all credit and glory to God. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. For nothing will be impossible with God. Time and time again, God takes barren circumstances to do what only God can do. In Genesis 15, Abraham complained to God that he remained childless. And then God showed him the stars in the sky and said, so shall your offspring be. This is my covenant. This is my promise. And thank God, literally, that Abraham's response was that he believed the Lord. He trusted the Lord. He believed that God could actually do and would do this thing that he promised, that he said, and that he said he would do. Abraham had to trust God to do what he said he would do. He had to trust in God's faithfulness. And believe that God would do what he couldn't do for himself. God's mission takes place where our barrenness and God's faithfulness intersect. All too often, you and I believe that something can't concede unless our un unwritten checklist is fulfilled. Unless we have the ideal circumstances or required resources, or the right people necessary for God to accomplish his purposes. But in defiance of all that, the story of Abram and Sarai, the, 
the foundational story of God's people and God's redemptive restoration is a reminder that God doesn't need any of that. He can work with whomever and whatever circumstances he chooses. In other words, nothing is impossible with God. Creation, ex nihilo, out of nothing. Barrenness and birth, even death and resurrection. And so Abraham believed that God could bring life out of deadness. In Genesis 15, when God said that his offspring would be like the stars in the sky, Abraham trusted God. And in the year 2066 B.C., God turned Sarah's barrenness into blessing. He fulfilled his, co his covenant, and in that year, God gave Abraham and Sarah the child he had promised. Abram and Sarai had every reason to believe that 2091 was going to be just the same as 2092. Remember, we're counting backwards in B.C. times. They had every reason to believe that it would be just like last year and just like the year before that and the year before that. I mean, Sarah was barren one year. She'd be barren the next. She was barren the next. Nothing was going to change. It just meant more of the same. The more things happen, the more they say the same. What goes around comes around. But then God changed all that. Then God brought in his plan. And beginning in 2091, their lives were going to be different. How is 2024 going to be different for you? How's it going to be different for me? How's it going to be different for us as a church? I believe that every year offers us several possibilities. Maybe last year or this year, maybe this year, excuse me, will be a year of triumph. Again, look at what's going on in our church. We're doing well financially. We have people coming to be a part of our fellowship. We are sending missionaries out. We are planting churches. It is wonderful. It is exciting to be a part of First Presbyterian Church right now. All of that is good. Maybe that's happening in your life. Maybe your business is going well, your kids are prospering, all of that kind of thing. That's a wonderful thing. Enjoy it. It doesn't happen everyone, to everyone, and it doesn't happen every year. But one thing that we might experience is we might experience triumphs in the year, but we also might experience trials. And those trials can come in two ways. They can be negative trials, things that really push us to our limits, maybe a a temptation that we have to overcome, maybe a, a health issue, maybe grief or death, maybe a divorce. Maybe there are things that have pushed us to the absolute limits of our mental, of our mental health or our physical health. Maybe it's disease. Maybe it's just some kind of strain we can't even describe. So maybe there is some kind of triumph. Maybe it's going to be a year of trial. We don't know. Here's the thing. In either case, we have a choice. Are we going to count those trials and those triumphs as training or tragedy? 
It's training or tragedy. What are you going to do with those triumphs? Are you going to say, oh, well, this is all my doing, or God's blessing me because I've been really awesome this year? Are you going to take that aspect? Are you going to take that attitude? Or are you going to learn humility and gratitude? Learn how to say, thank you, Lord, because I could have never done this and I don't deserve it. Or are you going to take tragedy? You're going to take those trials and let it separate you from God. Let it belittle your faith. Let it estrange you from others. Instead of taking those circumstances tragically and learning nothing from them, we can take them as training tools that God is using to prepare us for a larger purpose. That's how God transforms tragedy into training and ultimately all of it for his glory. Psalm 90.12 says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You know, there was a lady in Virginia at one of my previous churches who used to say that God gives us two things every year, blessings and lessons. Blessings and lessons. Those blessings are the things that go really well and we need to learn from them. Not just enjoy them, but we need to learn from them. And then there are the lessons, the tough things, the difficult things. And you know what? We need to learn from them as well. There's an old Ghanaian proverb that says, don't ask God, why are you doing this to me? Ask, Lord, what are you teaching me through this? But the point is, we've got to have both blessings and lessons so that God can train us for the purpose of his mission. Was 2023 a blessing or a lesson year for you? Was it a training or a tragedy year for you? Was it a trial or a temptation or was it a triumph year for you? Maybe it was a mix of all of those. Here's the point. I believe that this year can be different. Just like 2091 was different for Sarai and Abraham. Sarai's barrenness was no accident. It was part of God's plan to demonstrate his power and to demonstrate his glory. God uses even those barren times, those tragic times in our lives, to shape our faith and to prepare us for our mission. He also uses them to show us that he can do what no one else can do, that he can bring blessing from barrenness, that he can bring death from life, a life from death. Excuse me. Scripture teaches us over and over God's purposes. And he teaches us, it teaches us that they are not thwarted by adverse circumstances or barrenness because God, our God, is the God who keeps his promises. You know, First Presbyterian Church is now 177 years old. We have been in this location for 117 years. Some might say that our best days are behind us and that this old church is, in some sense, barren. Some might believe that we are too old-fashioned, too dated, too conservative, too traditional to make a difference in this multicultural burgeoning city. But right now in 2024, San Antonio needs a bold, 
prophetic, praying, and teaching First Presbyterian Church. A church that is willing to stand firm on the Word of God, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, and to declare with Paul that I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The city needs a church that is ready to say every day that God's plans for us are bigger than our capacity to bring those plans to bear under our own power. How did God prove that he can make things happen when we believe they're impossible? He used a barren woman to prove it. And so like her, we need to pray more. We cannot think or fight or work our way through this year and its many challenges. So let's make this year a year of prayer. Instead of coming up with us-sized answers and solutions to our challenges, let's pray for God-sized answers. And we need to trust more. We need to act like we believe that God is going to do great things, impossible things through this church. We need to expect that God is going to do great things to this church and then live like we believe it. But I believe that this year is going to be different because we're going to trust God more and watch him give birth to something new. Whatever challenges we face this year, we have to remember that we worship and serve the God who keeps his covenant, who keeps his promises and brings blessing out of barrenness. Will you pray with me? Oh God, we thank you that, that you are the God who not only makes promises, but keeps them. We thank you, oh God, that you're the God who draws us to you, knowing that you can do amazing things in our lives, in our church, and through your power. So we ask, oh God, that even when you call on us to do things that we believe are impossible, that we would learn to trust you as Abraham and Sarah did. That we would trust you not only to bring joy from grief and success from failure, but that, you would, that we would trust you to bring blessing from barrenness. In Jesus' name, amen. For hundreds of years since the Exodus, the people of Israel had been celebrating the Passover. They come together in this celebratory meal to remember and to talk about what God had done for them when he set them free. But then in 33 AD, after hundreds of years, something changed. Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, gathered with his disciples and he gave this old, old meal, this old, old ceremony, a new meaning. He declared to them that he was about to do something new and powerful, something that they would have trouble believing. And so that's why he came and he told them ahead of time what was going to happen so that they would hear God's promises and know when they were fulfilled that he had kept them. And so Jesus gathered his disciples around this table to say, my body is about to be broken. My blood is about to be shed. 
When you see these things happen, know that these are not accidents. These are things that I told you would come to pass that the Father has declared. But know this too, that on the third day, I will rise again. Jesus came to the table to give them a tangible reminder that our God is the God who keeps his promises. That when our God makes a promise, that it, that promise is as real as the bread that you taste, and the cup that you bring to your mouth. It is as real as the body and blood of Christ, which was broken for you and shed for you. And so we come to this table not simply to participate in a ritual, but to be reminded that our God not only kept his promises, but continues to keep his promises. Not only that he would die and give his life, but that through him we would live eternally. Do you believe this? Do you know this? We need to be reminded and we need something that we can touch with our, our hands and taste in our mouths to remember to taste and see that the Lord is good. And so the Lord invites us to this table so that we may give thanks for the promises that he has made and the promises that he has kept and all of those promises that he will keep through his son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We come to this table, we are invited to this table, not because we are worthy, but because we are loved. We come to this table not because we deserve God's blessing, but because we have been forgiven by his grace. And so the Lord invites all those who are baptized in his name and who follow him as his disciples, who know him as both Savior and Lord, to come to this table that those promises might be confirmed in the breaking of the bread and the passing of the cup so that, so that we will know that the God of covenant keeps his covenant with his people and that just as surely as Christ died, Christ has risen and Christ will come again. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we can come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and as your children around this table that you prepare for us. Remind us that this is a demonstration of your love for us in that while we were still sinning, you sent Jesus Christ, your Son, and our Savior to die for us, that we could be made whole and that we could be renewed and that we could experience eternal life. Use this time together to open our hearts and to remind us of what you want to accomplish in and through us every day. Father, we're thankful for the power and authority that comes to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we claim that power and authority over those who are suffering now in ways that we want to come along beside them. We pray for those that are in need of your healing touch. We pray that, that you would work in their hearts and their minds and their bodies to bring them to full strength and health, to provide for them, to provide for their families, 
provide for their caregivers. We're thankful that you've created our bodies with the ability for healing, and we pray that you would walk through uh, that time and need of your touch with those who are preparing for surgery, who are waiting for your touch as they're in hospital rooms, and we pray that you would be with them and that you would be their strength. Father, we're thankful that you can come even in the midst of our loss, especially the loss of a loved one. And as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, help us not to fear evil. Remind us that, that we will grieve, but we do not grieve without hope because the power and authority of Christ's death and resurrection shows us the ability, shows us the reality of eternal life. And the loved one that we've lost is not lost. They are very much in your presence, and we can know that. Help us as a congregation, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Father, we lift up the power and authority of Jesus to be involved and to, to take, make a difference in our hurting world. There are so many areas of concern. There are so many places that, that need to see your light in the midst of darkness. And we pray that you would equip us to be your light in a world that really is in darkness. Thank you for the opportunities that you give us. Equip us through the power that comes through your Holy Spirit and through Jesus Christ. And we're thankful that we will have opportunities to participate in your kingdom and to see your power and to see fresh newness because of what you are doing. Father, we ask your blessing on this bread and this cup. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be present in our lives as we participate together in this supernatural meal. And we pray that you would give us spiritual nurture through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we participate together. And we ask your blessing on this bread and on this cup and pray that you would do miraculous things in our hearts and our minds as we seek to serve you in the coming year. In Jesus' name, amen. We know that our Lord has ascended into heaven and that he is at the right hand of the Father. And yet we know that by the Holy Spirit in this sacrament, in this meal, in this moment, we are in his presence. And so knowing that, hear now these words from Scripture that now I render unto you which was, that which was given unto me, that on the night that he was betrayed, our Lord sat at table with his disciples and after supper, he gave thanks, and after giving thanks, he took bread, and he broke it, and he said, this 
is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, our Lord took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink you all of it and do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And beloved, he will come again. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come, for the table is prepared, and he is calling for you.